Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Well, good morning to you all. It's so good to have you here with us this morning. Um, My name is Jeannie. I'm one of the pastors here at Joliet First. And um, yeah, I am. And um, I actually, before I get started, I want to take the opportunity to introduce you to some special guests that we have with us this morning. Um, Dr. Larry McCain, who is our district superintendent, and his wife, Denise, are here. And um, if you have not yet had a chance to meet them, please meet them. They are lovely, lovely people. And yeah, stand up. Yeah. So there are some 80 churches or so on our district, and Dr. McCain is the one who oversees all of the 80 churches on our district, and their pastors make sure that things are running smoothly, etc. So that's what he does. It's a fairly, um, you know, busy job, I think. But thank you for making time to be with us today. Um, So if this is your first time at Joliet First this morning, I want to just tell you a little bit about us. Um, At Joliet First, we are striving to be the edge to our community. In the book of Leviticus, God commands the Israelite farmers not to reap the edges of their fields, but to leave them for the poor and the widow and the orphan. And so at Joliet First, we want to be the edges to our community by seeking after God through worship and everything that we do, by investing our time and our talents in um, getting connected and being a part of our community, by restoring people back to the image that God created them to be, and then finally, by sending people back out into our community to bring that message of restoration to a lost and broken world. So that's what we're really about here at Joliet First. And if you weren't here last week, this is the second week in our series called Running in Circles. And if you weren't here last week, I just want to give you a little synopsis of what happened so that you can be caught up. So when you hear the phrase running in circles, most people, when they hear that phrase, they think of it as a bad thing. In fact, when I hear the phrase running in circles, I have a little video on replay in my head of a chicken running around with its head cut off. That's what I think of when I think of somebody who's running in circles. But at Joliet First, we think that running in circles is a good thing. In fact, we believe that if you're not running in circles, that you're going to be running in circles. And we believe that running in circles is life essential. So last week, we were reminded that running in circles creates connection. And that we are only, our connection to Christ is only as deep as our connection to others in Christ. And we learned that that connection comes 
when we break bread together, when we eat together, when we share around a table. And so we were challenged to view our tables as a place of sacred space. So last week's big idea was running in circles creates connection. This week's big idea is running in circles creates credibility. So would you please pray with me as we begin this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you that you are here with us right now. I pray that you would work in this time, that you would give us ears to listen and hearts to respond to what your spirit has to say. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So many of you know that um, my family took a road trip vacation to Colorado this summer in July. And when I say my family, I mean my parents, my husband and I, and our kids. So, you know, six of us. It was a fun time. It really was. Um, but, you know, we drove, and some of you who have made this, the drive from here to Colorado know that it's kind of a long trip. But we feel really well-equipped now to critique any of the rest stops in Iowa, Nebraska, and Colorado. Let me first give you a piece of advice. There are hardly any rest stops in Colorado. So if you see one stop, because you might not see another one for 500 miles. So... Um, so anyway, partway through the second day in the afternoon, um, we stopped at a restaurant in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska. And I'm talking, really, middle of nowhere in Nebraska. And we all, you know, because we needed a break, and we all piled out, and we went into the rest stop, and of course, um, the ladies' room was being cleaned and was completely closed. So, fortunately, this rest stop had a family restroom, but of course there were five or six other women in line for this one, you know, little family restroom, so my mom and Amy and I got in line with the rest of them, and we're all standing there. Now, what I should tell you about the rest stops in Nebraska is that they all have, and most rest stops have this, they have, you know, a booth in, you know, that has um, brochures and pamphlets about all the fun things to see and do in Nebraska. And I said, who knew there were so many fun things to see and do in Nebraska? But just in case you weren't sure, apparently there's like booths full of pamphlets about all these things. But what they do at the rest stops in Nebraska is that these rest stops are actually staffed by people from the Nebraska Tourism Department. So some part of me was like, man, who would want that job? You know, sitting there in a rest stop all day, but apparently some people do. So, um, and this one was staffed by this nice older, older lady, and she decided that since she had a captive audience or, of seven or eight women or so, she was going to find out where we all were from. And so, you know, she asked, and we went down the line, and she got to me, and I said, Chicago, because, let's face it, once you get out of northern Illinois, no one has ever heard of Joliet, and no one has definitely heard of Shorewood. So I was going to do the easy thing and just say Chicago. So then she comes to my mom, and I'm thinking, okay, my mom is traveling with me, 
And, you know, so she'll take the easy answer, too, and say Chicago. Now, I should explain that my parents have been missionaries for 47 years, and so answering the question, where are you from, is not an easy answer. It's long and it's complicated. But, you know, we're in a restaurant in a line for the ladies' room, so I figured she'd go the easy route and take a cue from me and just say Chicago. But my mom decided to be a little more authentic. And so she said, well, it's kind of a long story, but, you know, we're just retiring from being missionaries in Thailand. And usually at this point, you know, someone would say, oh, that's so interesting, and what an exciting life you must have led. But that's not what this lady said. Her face started to light up, and she said, where in Thailand? So my mom said, Chiang Mai. And this lady's face lit up like a Christmas tree. And she said, I, I worked at CMIS, which is an international, another international school in Chiang Mai. Okay, we are in the middle of nowhere Nebraska. We are surrounded by cornfields and Nebraska beef. That's it. And what are the chances that we're going to run into somebody who has worked in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Who knows? But, so I'm standing off to the side, you know, with my mouth down to my feet in shock, while, while this lady and my mom relay mutual experiences and mutual acquaintances and places that they've both been and, and ways that Chiang Mai has changed and, you know, what's still there and all of this stuff. And so, you know, as I've reflected on this experience as the month has gone by, I thought about it, and I thought, you know, what a fun moment we would have missed if my mom had decided to just give the easy, slightly less authentic answer and just say Chicago. But instead, we had this great random moment of meeting somebody who had lived halfway around the world in the same city that my parents had lived in and worked. And not only that, it gave me a great random story to share on Facebook, which I'm always looking for those great random stories to share on Facebook. So I'm sure that if I asked each of you, you all would probably have at least one person in your life who you might feel is a little too authentic, maybe shares a little too much. Maybe you've had this experience, you know, you're standing in line in the grocery store or in Target or Walmart or wherever it is you go and another person in line sees something that you, you're buying that they think they have in common with you and before you leave the store, you know that person's entire life story. And, you know, sometimes you're just thinking, why, why did I have to, why did I have to experience this? Or maybe this has happened to some of you you know, you men, you know, you'll be sitting with your, a group of women who are mothers, and you're having this perfectly lovely conversation about, you know, a cookout or something. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the conversation shifts to labor and childbirth. And you're horrified as you hear words like dilated and centimeters and contractions and you're looking for the nearest escape hatch. This happened to my father-in-law literally just two weeks ago, and he was bemoaning the fact that 
my husband wasn't there to bail him out so they could go downstairs and put on a baseball game and turn up the volume really loud. So, you know, we've all had these experiences where somebody shares too much. But here's the thing about people who share too much. I secretly am a little bit thankful for those people because it's through those people that we learn and we're reminded that we're not in this alone, that somebody else has gone through this experience before us. Um, it makes the world not quite so lonely. I mean, how nice is it as a, as a mom to be in a store and have another mom tell you, I experienced the, that exact same tantrum with my kid. You know, you'll survive it. You'll get through it. Not that my kids have ever thrown a tantrum in a store. Um, or, you know, when you have an embarrassing diaper blowout, or I don't know. There's myriads of, you know, embarrassing and painful situations, but how nice is it to meet someone and find out that they've experienced that exact same thing? So, but here's the thing, I think, about church. I think in church, we tend to kind of go the opposite direction. And we tend to be too concerned with, with keeping up appearances, and we forget to be authentic with each other. We think that we're if we're authentic and we share, we share everything with other people, that people are going to judge us, that they're going to look down on us, that they're not going to think the same about us as they did before. And so we lose some, some authenticity that we could have had before. And the problem with this is when we're unwilling to authentically share with others, we lose credibility. What I really want you to grasp today is that in order to have credibility in our relationships with each other, we have to be authentic. And we gain credibility when we stop trying to keep up appearances and instead authentically share our experiences. Now, here's me being authentic this morning. I had this whole thing memorized this morning and now it has completely gone out of my head. So I'm referring to my notes a little more than I would like to, but <laughs> thank you, Dan, for reminding me that that's just being authentic. <laughs> so um, now our scripture this week comes from the Apostle Paul, and the neat thing about Paul is that he started out as far from Jesus as you could possibly get. He was one of, um, he was a Pharisee, who was standing by and holding the coats of the people who were killing the first Christian martyr. And then from there, Paul went on to be one of the chief persecutors of the Christians in Palestine. Until all of a sudden, one day, Paul was traveling, and he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus that just radically changed him. And he went from being a persecutor of Christians to an apostle and a missionary. And then what Paul did as he was a missionary, was he, you know, he traveled around and he, he visited various cities and everywhere he would go, he would tell people about Jesus. And churches would start to form where Paul had been. 
And Paul wasn't always able to make it back to these churches, and so he would write letters to them to encourage them, or if he heard about an issue that was going on there, he would try and address that issue, because some churches without him were floundering, and so they needed instruction and guidance. They didn't have trained pastors and district superintendents and stuff like we have today. And so Paul kind of did this for his job. And so... um, the church that Paul was writing to today was in a city called Thessalonica. And um, Thessalonica was an interesting place because it was at the crossroads of a major Roman highway and another highway that went north into Europe. And not only that, it was the main port city on the Aegean Sea. So that made Thessalonica the largest city in Macedonia. And what's really interesting about Thessalonica, or may, I don't know if you'll find this interesting, I find it interesting, is that they were very religiously pluralistic, which are just some really big words for meaning they worshipped a bunch of gods and goddesses. And not only that, they also worshipped the Roman emperor. So Paul writes to them, and he, he tells them some things, and then after this I'm going to tell you why, why Paul was writing this and the issue that he was addressing. So um, he says, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. So here's the issue that was going on in Thessalonica. First, I should tell you that one of the gods that they worshipped in Thessalonica was a god called Cabrius. And Cabrius was believed to, um, to only favor the elite classes of people. So, you know, all of, all of us common folk, we were left out, if, you know, too bad for us. And so Paul and his... Um, his companions came into town and they started preaching about Jesus who loves everyone no matter what your class or your status. And guess what? They started to mess with the status quo of the elite and the rich in the city. And they started to erode their power. All of a sudden they're like, we're losing all of our minions and our peons because they believe in this God that loves them even though they're poor and have no class. And so, even the rich Jews in the city were getting mad and trying to figure out what to do. And so, they decided, okay, well, we're just going to persecute these people until they stop believing this. And the first thing that they did, basically, was to run Paul out of town. Now, we learn, if, we, if you look at this story in the book of Acts, which, by the way, if you want to read more about Paul's adventures, you should read the book of Acts, because it tells a lot. But um, 
we learn from the book of Acts that Paul was really only in Thessalonica for a really short amount of time, possibly only three weeks. And so, as you know, three weeks is not a lot of time to get to know someone. It's not a lot of time to build up credibility and um, to share authentically with people. And so, they ran Paul out of town, and then they went into the church and they started attacking Paul's credibility. And the Thessalonian church was broken, and it was hurting, and they were suffering, and they thought that Paul just abandoned them. And so Paul lost all of his credibility with the Thessalonian church. And even here are some of the things that they accused Paul of. They accused him of being on a criminal on the run. So Paul had been arrested in Philippi. So that story had probably followed him. They accused him of being delusional and just plain like Looney Tunes. Um, they accused him of preaching with impure motives. They thought that his preaching had a sexual nature and that churches, because they shared a kiss of peace, you know, they passed the peace, they thought that that meant that churches were getting together and having orgies on Sundays. Um, he was accused of skillfully trying to trick people through his preaching. He was accused of seeking to please men rather than God. He was accused of preaching the gospel only for what he could get from it. And then he was accused of trying to make a name only for himself. And then finally, they accused him of being somewhat of a dictator. Now, I'm sure if some of you have read Paul's writings and you kind of pull some of what he says out of context, you could see how that, how that might be twisted to make it seem like that. So Paul had an issue on his hands, and he had to write to the Thessalonian church and resolve it quickly because the church was crumbling and they were struggling. And so he wrote to them, and he said, hold on just a minute. Let me explain this to you. What you're hearing is only about appearances. Let me, let me share from my heart my experience. And then he says, don't you remember that, yes, I was arrested in Philippi, but don't you remember that I was arrested only because I cast a demon out of a poor slave girl, and they arrested me, because they were no longer making money off of this poor girl. And don't you remember that I was beaten and thrown in prison without a trial? I've suffered. And then he says, do you really think I'm trying to trick you? Don't you remember where I've come from? Do you think I'm trying to make money off of you or make a name for myself? I was a Pharisee. I had wealth. I had power. I had prestige. And then Jesus radically changed my life. And so it's not about that. It's about how much I love you and I'm sharing with you. And he's saying, I didn't, he says, it's my right as an apostle for, for you, the church, to support me. But I didn't demand that right. I worked among you so that you wouldn't have to pay for my, my living. I supported myself. And so through this, and he also says, we didn't put on a mask. And in other words, we weren't trying to be put up appearances with you. We weren't trying to keep up appearances. We were always authentic. And so what Paul did was he reminded the, the Thessalonians of his own suffering and his own experiences, 
and he reminded them that they weren't alone, that he had also experienced suffering and pain, that he didn't just leave them high and dry, but that he loved them. And in so doing, in sharing his, his experiences on being authentic, he began to restore his credibility with the Thessalonians. Now, I think that one of the major problems in the church today and outside the church is the problem of keeping up appearances. And with the internet and social media, it just makes it so much easier to do that. Now, um, I'm on Facebook, as a lot of you know, and I love Facebook, which a lot of you probably know that too, um, because it's a, great, it's a great tool to you know, be connected with people that you know all across the country and for me all around the world and I'm you know I'm in touch with with friends that I've had since kindergarten who are in France and Australia and you know it's a great tool to keep up a, to um, be connected but unfortunately here's the problem with Facebook you're only ever getting part of the picture you're only getting what people want you to see and most of the time it's not really an authentic picture. For instance, there are some mornings where I wake up and I get ready and I look in the mirror and I think, wow, I look really good today. I have those days, I really do. And so I think, I think other people in the world should know how good I look today. And so I take a selfie of myself and I put it on Facebook and so you get pictures like this. So, that's all well and good, but you aren't getting the whole authentic picture because nine out of 10 days, I actually look like this. <laughs> or this. Now, um, I was going to be really authentic this morning and actually share with you a picture of what I look like when I first get up in the morning. But then I decided that that joy should be reserved for my husband only. And so you all are being spared, trust me, spared. Um, so instead of being authentic, I think, oh, I'm not going to share that because oh, look at those gray hairs or that one hair that's sticking straight up. Or look at that ginormous pimple on my chin. Well, I, don't, you know, I don't want people to see that. Or take this picture, for instance. Now, aw, isn't that lovely? Yeah, yeah. So when you see this picture, you think, "Oh, here's a happy mom with her, with her lovely, well-adjusted, well-behaved, nice children. This is a good family." And okay, for the most part, that is true. However, what you don't see when you look at this picture—this was Mother's Day. What you don't see when you look at this picture is me two hours beforehand when I asked Ron if there was any possible way I could celebrate Mother's Day without my children because they were driving me crazy. <laughs> now, I have probably just gained some credibility with those of you moms who have gone through the exact same thing. So, in fact, I've often said that I wish Mother's Day could carry over into Monday 
when my kids went to school and you know, then we could do, I don't know, whatever. So, but how many of you have done this before, okay? You have friends or family coming from out of town to your house, so you work frantically to clean your house from top to bottom until it is spotless. And then your guests come and they, they compliment you on the beauty of your home and how lovely it is, and you smile and nod and you accept their compliments, all the while terrified on the inside that your kids are going to rat you out. Or maybe this experience sounds familiar. So back a few years ago, when I was in junior high, we had some guests coming to our house um, from out of town. They lived in the capital city, and they were um, diplomats. And they had had us in their home many times. They were just lovely people. And so my parents wanted to return the favor, so they invited them to our house. And my mom was pulling out all the stops. She made a a great dinner, um, chicken and broccoli casserole. I still remember 30 years later what she made. And then for dessert, she was making her never-fail chocolate bunt cake, which, by the way, some of you here have had when I've made it. So um, everything was going fine, but wouldn't you know it, this is the one and only time that the never-fail chocolate bunt cake failed. It fell in the middle, and there was no way that my mom could serve it the way it, that it was. Now, we are in a small village in Pakistan. This isn't like you can run out to the grocery store and pick up a dessert, or even run to the store and pick up ingredients to make something else. So necessity became the mother of invention, and my mom crumbled up the cake into, into a pan, and then she had some cream, so she made whipped cream, and she put that on top, and then she crumbled more cake. My mouth is starting to water. Uh, she crumbled more cake on top of that and more whipped cream, and then she put some shaved chocolate on the top. Then she called together the family, my dad, my sisters, and I, and she gave us the look. You know the look? Yeah, you know the look, the look that moms give. And she made us swear on pain of death not to tell the guests what had happened. She did not want them to know that this was an alternative dessert and this was not the original plan. So everything was going according to plan. We were eating dinner. It was all delicious. We came and we had dessert. This is where it gets really funny because the guests started raving about this dessert. And it was. It was really good. And so they started raving about it. And then they asked for the recipe. So my sisters and I were kind of just looking down, you know, because we weren't supposed to tell. And I was like thinking, what's she going to do? What's she going to do? And my mom had two choices. She could either just give them the recipe and pretend like that's the way it was supposed to be, or she could tell them what really happened. And to my surprise at that moment, she confessed everything. She was like, well, you know, and so she explained the whole thing. And I was like, what just happened? She told us not to tell. This doesn't make sense. But what could have turned out, what could have been an embarrassing situation, actually became kind of a moment of triumph as one of our guests actually named the cake, Redeemed Cake. And on top of that, this 
new dessert became famous enough that people actually requested her to bring that to various gatherings in the, in the future. So I'm not really telling this story to brag on my mom or to say what a genius she is, although she is. <laughs> She's sitting right there in case you're wondering. Um, but what I am saying is that constantly trying to keep up appearances robs us of authentic relationships. Because at that moment she chose to share her real experience of what happened, we actually had a deeper and more meaningful relationship with that family than we had even had before. See, when we are always trying to look put together and have our house as perfectly clean as, as everyone else's, have the perfect family, which, by the way, does not exist, we have no credibility. Keeping up appearances is exhausting and it's lonely because nobody knows who you really are. So Paul goes on and he tells us something else that we need to know about credibility and authenticity. He says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. What I don't want you to miss here is that we cannot have credibility in our relationships and be authentic with one another if we are not with each other. Paul uses the image of family to describe how he loved the Thessalonians and how he drew them in and he shared Jesus with them because he was living with them. And because of this, the people were able to experience the peace and love that comes from knowing Jesus. To have credibility in our relationships, we can't just spend an hour together on Sunday morning and then go home to our homes and never speak to anybody else from church for the entire week. While this time here is incredibly, extremely important, this isn't where we build authentic relationships. There are too many people in this room for me to get to know each of you on a deep and personal and close level, even though I might like to. I mean, well, many of you, you've probably have done this. You walk through the foyer on Sunday morning, and someone says, how are you? And you have had the worst morning, and you feel sick, and you don't want to be here, etc. But somebody says, how are you? And you say, oh, I'm fine. And then you just keep walking. Because maybe, you know, we don't have the time to stop and have those deep conversations on Sunday morning. And maybe you don't know this person well enough to really share that you feel horrible and, you know, don't want to be here. 
And so we just keep everything on the surface. And that's not how God created us to be. We're relational people. And so the only way to authentically share with each other and go deeper is by being in small groups. Sharing happens like that on a smaller scale. And it can only happen in those small group times. Paul showed the, Les- the Thessalonians Jesus by simply living with them and sharing his life with them. And in the same way, he, he modeled after Jesus, who did the exact same thing. In fact, John 1.14 says that Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And this, this is the wonder of God. He didn't leave us to wallow in our dirt, in our guilt, in our shame. He just isn't up there watching the mess that's going on. No, he became God with us. He moved into the neighborhood. And in the same way, that is what God calls his followers to do. We are to live lives with other people. We're to get to know other people in deep and authentic ways and share with them. And this happens in small groups. This is where we can go beyond the Sunday morning small talk and really get to know other people in a deep way. In fact, if I'm having a really bad Sunday morning, it's the people from my small group. If they say, how are you? And I say, fine. They know me well enough to look at me and say, no, you're not. What's going on? And small groups are where we no longer need to keep up appearances, but we can authentically share with each other. In fact, the people from, I think I'm saying this, I think this is true, the people from my small group don't care if I look perfect or if I'm a hot mess. They love me no matter what. In fact, you know the first people when I, when I very unexpectedly found out who I, that I was pregnant, the first people that I told after my husband were the ladies from my small group. And they have loved me and prayed for me and supported me even before that, but in this time of uncertainty. And, you know, I'm not going to call everybody from church with news like that, but I'll call my small group. In a group, we can share our lives authentically with each other, and so we have credibility with each other. And when we have credibility with each other in a small group, we begin to have credibility with those outside our small group who are watching what goes on and can see the way that we love each other and that we live our lives together and share with each other. So the question is that I'm sure you're asking, okay, what do you want me to do with all of this? Well, I'll tell you, I'm so glad you asked. I want you to join a small group. It's really quite simple. If you haven't joined one, now is the time. We believe 
that the way God grows and sustains our community is through small groups and through living our lives and sharing authentically together. So it's so simple. You, we have a website. It's jolietnaz.org. You can go to our Next Steps tab and click on that, and once you've gone to that page, you can scroll down, and there's a button that says Join Community Life. And you can click on that, and you fill out a simple form. It really it takes about two minutes, tops. And then you will be contacted about being placed in a small group. And I just, I just want you to remember and know how important this is. You know, several years ago when we were starting small groups, I was skeptical of it. I really was. I didn't want to share stuff with people I didn't know. But guess what? Now I know them. And I love them. And we share our lives together. And it's the most wonderful thing because we have each other. So beyond that, though, here is my challenge for you all this week is be willing to go deeper. Be willing to take the time to be authentic with those around you and to share your life with them. Build your credibility by sharing experiences. And by doing that, you're going to not only gain incredible amounts of friendship and a closeness, a, a closer walk with Jesus, but also you'll be building them up and reminding them that they are not alone either. And maybe beyond that, beyond what you do in your small group and in your relationships, maybe take a risk and be a little more authentic on social media. Now, I'm not saying that you have to post a picture of yourself when you first get up in the morning. Maybe you want to post a picture of your living room and what it looks like at this exact moment. I posted a picture of my kitchen this week. Some people complained that it wasn't messy enough. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll try to do better. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's, this is what life's about, is helping people to understand that, yes, my life is not perfect. My life is messy. But guess what? I can be authentic because God is with me in this life, and I have other people who are with me in this life too.